Welcome to Talking Confidence with me, Holly Kaplan. Having confidence in the workplace is essential for progress, fulfillment, and yes, survival. The issue is that confidence doesn't always come easy and is impacted and influenced along the way. Well, as a confidence coach, I know the key to finding and keeping your confidence is to recognize how professional situations have affected how you think of yourself. In this podcast together, we will examine exactly what impacts women's confidence in the workplace. We're going to get raw in these episodes. We are going to peel back the layers of social interactions, company culture, gender discrimination, ageism, and more. My guests will include entrepreneurs, corporate executives, and business owners. We are going to get down to what these women are really feeling. Expect vulnerability, openness, and relatability. But most importantly, expect to find your confidence. When we are born, we are not able to select who our parents will be or who will raise us. We are not in charge and don't have control over those first formative years of our lives. We are innocently entering the lives of others who precede us, who are in charge of raising us and making decisions on our behalf. In other words, they make our choices. We're not able to. Their choices affect our direction until we are able and old enough to do so ourselves. My guest in this episode, Summer Watson, experienced life circumstances because of the choices of others, which you'll hear about shortly. The beauty in her story is that she realized that their choices would not dictate who she would become. Instead, she persevered and made her own choices that would impact her professionally, personally, and drive her to success. Be sure to listen through to the end of this episode so you can hear my two tips on the choices of others. But first, here's more on Summer. Dr. Summer Watson is the founder of Core Women, LLC. Core Women is a unique home for the hearts and souls of women where they can kinetically connect, organically learn from one another, reshape lives through diverse interaction, and energize one another to promote change. Core Women strives to support women through shared wisdom, kindness, mentorship, and guidance, as well as the use of films, podcasts, and in-person and virtual seminars to share their journeys, stories, and strategies to support success. Core Women is a place where women can find strength, courage, inspiration, and empowerment strategies that they can apply to their lives. Summer has also published a study titled Effects of the War in Iraq on Military Marriages, in which she studied six factors that affect military marriages separated by war. She also recently published her new book titled, Fuck Yeah, Get Real with Strong Language. (laughs) This book is a strategic approach to understanding your personal beliefs and values. I love the title, I gotta say. Summer holds a bachelor's in English literature from the University of California, Berkeley, a master's in human services with a specialty in community counseling from National University, San Diego, and a PhD in psychology with a clinical emphasis from Saybrook University, San Diego. She also has been certified in teaching, mediation, substance abuse, education, and prevention, and leadership. She has served as an empowerment coach to entrepreneurs, writers, creatives, and those in both the for-profit and non-profit setting. Summer is the host and producer of the Core Women podcast, co-host and producer of the Life, Love, and Money show, and has produced documentary films focused on women and empowerment. Summer was also right by her husband's side while he served a full career in the U.S. Marine Corps for over 21 years. She has traveled and lived in many different states in the U.S. and in Okinawa, Japan for three years. 
Well, Summer, I am so excited to have you on today because we have so much fun when we talk and there's a lot of cussing and laughing that goes on. And um, we're going to experience a little bit of that today, I know. But before we get into our conversation and start cussing and laughing, how do we know each other? Through Jan Barlow. Yes, here in Dallas. Yes, yes, yes. Jan is awesome. She is super awesome. I love her. I was part of her seminar. I got an introduction from Catherine McCord, and then it just kind of evolved from there. She's amazing. She is. And she and I had lunch here in Dallas, and she's like, you have to meet Summer. She she was telling me how much fun you are and everything you've accomplished, and we're going to talk about that. And when we talked, we did talk about your accomplishments, but we also talked about what we bonded over. And that was that we're both authors, and we both chose to put some um, bad words in the titles of our books. <laughs> I call it strong language. Strong language. language. Yes. (laughs) Would you please tell the listeners about your book and what it's called? Absolutely. Thank you for asking. So it's called Fuck Yeah, Get (laughs) Real with Strong Language. (laughs) Fuck Yeah, Get Real with Strong Language. Now, when you wrote this book, did anyone tell you using the word fuck? in a title. It's not a good idea. Did anyone say that to you? I'm just curious. Oh yeah. We questioned ourselves. I mean, we questioned ourselves. We questioned, um, people questioned us why that, um, I, you know, from some people in my family, why would you write that? You know, there were all kinds of conversations had around this. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And you went ahead with it anyway, didn't you? Fuck. Yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> you had to get your point across. If that tells you anything about my personality. That's it. Right there. Well, that's where we have similarities because I wrote the book, Surviving the Dick Click, A Girl's Guide to Surviving the Male-Dominated Corporate World. And when I wrote it and I told my friends and family that that was the title, they were like, yeah, I don't think that's a good idea. I'm like, no, it is. <laughs> idea. (laughs) So thank you. I'm glad that we can come together on this and use our curse words in our titles, Summer, you know? Absolutely. I'm glad we bonded over that. Yes. And how else are we going to get the point across if we don't use that strong language? How are we going to get the point across? Absolutely. Absolutely. Here's the other thing. Mm -hmm. Strong language. I used it in this book as a medium for, or subject matter to understand your personal values, because I knew it was a sensitive subject. It's a sensitive subject for many people. And yet a lot of people claim they don't use it, but they use it behind closed doors or they use it, you know, they use it all the time. And it's like, let's get clear folks. Let's get really clear about what your values are and stop with the lying, the inauthenticity, the, you know, and live who you are. And I'm not saying that you have to be like, oh, F this and da-da-da-da-da, like around kids or whatever. You know, you know when it's best to use strong language. And there's also studies, medical studies that say, you know, when you hit your toe, you're not necessarily like, ow, you no. say, shit, you know, and that releases certain hormones that you're not really supposed to hold on to because you need to have that release. And that actually helps resolve the pain more quickly. You know what? You're right. Because 
Ironically, I stubbed my toe yesterday morning and I dropped a big F bomb and I felt a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my daughter was nowhere around, thankfully. <laughs> thankfully, the F bomb was in a safe place, but I felt better. So thank you for validating that scientifically, Summer. Thank, you're welcome. You're welcome. We had to put everything in this we, book, even though it's a it's a, a very short book. We had to put we put a lot of really great information so that people would really understand like why we were using the the subject of strong language to really understand and strategize your own value system. I think that's terrific. And it's healthy. Yeah. It's a health benefit every for yeah. everyone listening. It's not just kale and, you know, vitamin D. You got to cuss too. So <laughs> kale. <laughs> kale and vitamin D, you know. <laughs> You got to cut. Yeah. Um, where can they get your book, Summer? They can actually get it on Amazon okay, and Barnes and & Noble. And we're going to go through a rebrand here pretty soon. So um, there will be a different link fairly soon. So yeah, check it out now. Terrific. They're going to love it. Fuck yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, let's get on with it. Um, you have a very interesting story. And I know our listeners will appreciate it today. Um and I want this kind of to naturally unfold because it escalates with drama as you share every word. So let's just start with some background on you, Summer, so our listeners can get to know you. Okay. So what background would you like, personal first or professional? Yeah, let's go personal. Let's go personal. Where okay. it started and your family and all that stuff. All right. Let's do it. Okay. So my mom and dad came from very different backgrounds. My mom is Armenian and European, and my dad is Filipino and Mexican. And so culturally and racially, they are just very different. Grew up very differently, and yet there was a passion there. And they were young. My mom was 17 when she had my brother, and she was 19 when she had me. So there was a lot of passion. And um, and yet as things evolved, they realized that they really weren't right for each other. Just because they're passionate about each other, they weren't right for each other. They were and they kids. had they were kiddos. They were kids. And and my dad, he had this very um, impulsive side. He was a bit abusive towards her and it was very scary for her. And so she actually ended up um, having to run away from him and get away from him. But and that was around the time that I was six months old. Mm. And during that time, again, my mom's 19. She's young. They lived in Anaheim, California, and that's where I was born. I was born and raised in California, in, born in Anaheim. And then um, we migrated over to Santa Cruz, California, where most of my family is. And, um, and so at that time, my mom was taking me back and forth to the doctors because she knew there was something wrong and that I was sick. And the doctors would send her away and say, nope, she's got the stomach flu. Nope, she's got a cold. And she'd say, nope, there's something wrong. And so finally, one of those doctor visits, about two weeks into this whole situation of me being sick, um, I went into a coma Ugh. in the doctor's office. And they raced me to, during that time, they didn't have necessarily an ambulance everywhere. So they actually followed my mom, gave her, you know, gave her a police escort over to the hospital. And she said, and you were in a coma in my arms. Oh my God. I had to run you into the hospital and say, somebody see my baby. She's in a coma. And, And I was dying essentially. 
And what they found was a hole in my small intestine when they went into exploratory surgery. So I was extremely sick. I was septic. So there was infection all over my body. And it took multiple surgeries to get me well up until, and I tell this story because I've had multiple surgeries as a, as a result of that first surgery Mm -hmm. up until age 34. I never knew when they were going to happen or what was going to happen because what was happening was I was growing adhesions as I was growing inside. And so those adhesions would wrap around organs and wrap around my intestines and cause problems. That's a problem. So that was one part of my story. The next part of my story goes like this. So my mom and dad divorce. My mom raises us for a few years. Of course, she's got the sick baby. She's trying to get her well. And she said, you know, Summer, here's the, here's the issue. When you were sick, you never were unhappy. Even as sick as you were, you didn't cry very much. People love to be around you. You were always smiling. So the doctors, even when I took you in, she's like, because of your presentation, they thought, oh, she's, she's fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so she said, even when you were strapped down to a bed, Summer, and your legs, your little legs, your little arms, you've got tubes coming out of you. She's like, you still weren't crying. And she said, I'd walk into the room and the heart monitor would go off the charts. Oh, And she said, and you were just so precious. And so anywho, as we skip on to the years, to a couple of years, my mom decides, you know, because of her conditioning and what her parents told her is your value is through who you marry. And so she's like, I've got to find a husband for my kids. I've got to find somebody who will help me raise these children because it's not going to be their father because he's off and about and, you know, probably married at this point a couple of times, two or three times. Cause well, okay. Yeah. Um, I think he was married like four times or five times. So anywho, my grandmother or my mother takes us to uh, my paternal grandparents. And I think I was around four and she leaves my brother and I there and they raise us for the next couple of years. I, I got to ask you this. And I know we talked about this in the pre-interview, but as a child of that age, I don't know how I would have handled being left with my grandparents. I loved them, but if my mother left me, I think I'd be devastated. But you you handled it differently. I did, but I I do remember certain things, aspects, Holly, of how I felt. Yeah, and I remember when my mom would come over and she would leave. I remember throwing back the curtains and just standing there crying and oh. feeling just abandoned to a certain degree because I loved my mom and I wanted to be with her so badly. And I, I remember I have those images of, and my grandmother would say, get away from the window, get away from the window. She'll be back. Sometime. You know, and and my grandmother and grandfather, I have to, you know, they were amazing too. my paternal grandparents. They were absolutely amazing because my grandmother had, an eighth grade education. My grandfather graduated from high school and he went to, he was in world war two and he went to France. He did all these things. They came back, they bought a house. They, they worked, they had cars, they didn't have bills. I mean, they were just amazing. And to be able to take these grandkids in, I look back and go, thank God, thank God I have those grandparents. And although culturally we were very different in the way that I saw the world and they saw the world, but they were there. They were there for us. Right. They were consistent for you. They were consistent. They were. I may not have like everything they were consistent with, but they were. They were consistent. They were consistent. They got us up. 
They, we had, you know, meals, we had clothes, we had, we went to school. Uh, They were consistent. They were absolutely that. Good. That's so helpful in those early years too. You're very lucky that you had them. I I am because later on in life, I worked in the social services, um, child, um, protection, um, for the County of San Diego. And I can tell you, I'm glad we have a system, but I'm glad I wasn't in the system. Right. Right. That's a different, that's a different game show right there. Yeah, absolutely. So as we move forward, I then ended up going to live with my father. Um, He came and got us when I was, I believe in the first grade. So I was about five and then um, lived with him for about four years. And then finally, um, four and a half years, my mom came and got us because those four years, four and a half years were were. That's what I was going to ask you. What were those four years like? If you can describe it, if you're comfortable describing it. Um, I lived in fear. Um, My dad was abusive and I saw how he treated my brothers, me, my stepmom. And it was, it was scary. And as a child, you don't really have a voice. And yet, um, especially back then in the early seventies, you know, people didn't really ask like, how you doing? What's going on? And I think we hit it pretty well. Yeah. And there were some really crazy things, you know, like physical abuse going on um, behind the scenes. And it was, it was a scary time. So that just, that just amazes me because I look at you today and you're such a jovial, well-adjusted, funny <laughs> lighthearted person, you know, and I think back on these things that happened to you and it just amazes me. Uh, Well, here's the thing, Holly, I really believe that as human beings, we have this innate and learned ability to be resilient. And for some reason, even early on, when I went through all of those surgeries, I mean, multiple surgeries and my, at one point, my, even when they discharged me from the hospital, originally, they had my intestines outside of my body until my, my, my stomach Mm. and everything else healed. And then they were able to go back in and then put everything, you know, together again, put me together again after things healed. And she, my mom would say, you had, you know, nursing care and you had this and and yet you were still so incredibly good. And I just think innately there's something in me that wants to survive. And yet we'll get to that too, in the difference between survival and thriving. Right. Right. And there is a difference. And I think, this isn't an innate thing for you. And it clearly it served you. So let's go. Your dad got you back in first grade. Yeah. And then you, you went back to your mother after that yeah. summer. Yeah. I went back to my mom. Um, my brother and I went back to our, my mom in the fifth grade. Yes. When I was in the fifth grade. And so that I was so relieved, so relieved, so happy and she was married to my wonderful stepfather. I absolutely adore him. And yet their relationship was a little rocky as well, but they, they're still friends today. I still consider him my stepfather. He's still amazing. And yet for the most part, my mom raised me as a solo parent, a solo mom. So, okay. um, and so that experience was great because my mom and I had a a very respectful relationship. 
And she wanted to raise me very differently than maybe she was raised. And she gave me a lot of freedom. There were, there were boundaries, of course, but Mm -hmm. she also was very open from very early on. I mean, from talking about the birds and the bees and menses and all of these different things to dating, to sex, to, you know, you name it, you know, smoking behind the pool when I did, you know, my brother, <laughs> you know, came home, that's what I saw. Some were smoking behind the pool. And she said, were you? And I said, yes, I was. And she said, okay, let's talk about the consequences of that. You know, what that causes health wise and da, 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 da. And we talked about it. And she was open about it. And that's what I absolutely appreciated about my mom. And my mom also let me have missteps. And she said, that's how you're going to learn. You're going to learn from your missteps. And and I can tell you the other thing that was um, kind of an interesting lesson. Both my mom and my dad, they just drilled into us. You know, you are responsible for yourself. You are responsible for your actions. You are responsible for taking care of a lot of your own needs and being, you know, whatever you deemed successful. And even my mom said, even if you, you know, whatever you decide to do, I don't care what it is, as long as you're happy doing it, you're safe and you can thrive from it. Right. And, and that made me feel good. And gave you permission. It gave you permission in a way. And it kind of opened a door for you instead of a typical shaming and don't do that type of response. You got something different from her. Oh, absolutely. Because I think that she felt shamed a lot of her times by Mm. her parents. And she said, Summer, you know, I would be accused of doing A, B, and C. And I never did. Mm -hmm. And she said, so I want to open the door, you know, and the conversation with you. Because I don't want you to feel like you're alone in your choices. I want you to feel like you can come and talk to me. And I want you to feel like you can do these things, but do them and make these decisions being informed. Right. And so I don't know where else you're going to go and find your information. So I'd like to be able to help you with that information. And she really meant it. And I so appreciated that. She may have had her things going on. But that open communication, that honesty, that authenticity that we had together, it made such a difference in regards to, and this is called talking confidence. It made a difference in building my confidence. I think that's terrific because as a parent also, I want to be the one to give my daughter the information. I don't want her to get it from other sources. I want her to, I want it to be delivered how I want it to be delivered. So it sinks in with her. So I appreciate that she did that. I do. Um, I want to hit your confidence now because in our pre-interview, we talked about in fifth grade, you mentioned at that young of an age, you felt like you needed to be the tough girl. Can you tell us what that was about? Yeah, I think, um, and here's the thing regarding the tough girl whole statement. So I was raised to be strong and to really rely on myself and my inner strength and innate resiliency growing up. So it was instilled in me by both my mom and my dad who were divorced, like I said, when I was six months to be independent and not to really rely heavily on them a whole lot. So it was really up to me to determine my own success. And I'll give you an example. So when I lived with my dad, I used to play soccer and he was our coach and, um, 
and I was on the field and maybe I'd get run over or they pushed me down and he's like, you get your butt back up and you get back into that game. And it was, it was, it was a good lesson, but it was almost scary coming from him. Right. Because we, I didn't have a choice. And so it was like, okay, stop crying, get in there and don't get rolled over again. And so that's what I learned. I learned to be really tough. And yet, because my dad used his fists many times to show his leverage or his powers, that's not how I wanted to be. I saw that and I thought, that's never what I want in my life. Mm-hmm. I want to be tough and be able to hold my own, but I also want to be kind. Right. And so there were a lot of lessons that I learned growing up. And it was. My dad also knew karate. And so he really had this, this thing about, okay, I'm going to kick their ass or I'm going to do. And that to me, just, it didn't feel right. And here's the other thing. And the opposing side of that was my mom who was like, you never hit anybody. You never, you never, you know, put your hands on anybody. And, um, and I agree with that. Like, Mm -hmm. so for me, seeing that, Yes, I had a tough exterior, but I had a very sensitive inside too. Right. Right. It was a balance. It's a good balance. I still see that in you today. Like you're funny is all get out on the outside, <laughs> but you're you're an incredibly kind and giving person. So I think that you Aww. found it. Yeah, it's yeah, it's 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 a great balance. Well, the show is about confidence obviously. Yeah. In those early years and you being we'll say tough girl again, because you knew what you had to do to, to, to survive. survive. How, what was your confidence like in those early adult years and how did it impact your choices going forward? You know, Holly, I think I was pretty darn confident. So, I mean, I remember an instance, I was younger, I think I was about 16, some guy proposed to me. Oh. Are you you kidding? (laughs) Exactly. Are you kidding me? I'm 16 years old and you're proposing. I'm like, this is ridiculous. And like, I had that insight and I said, I have goals. I have things to do. I just, that's not, that's not part of it. And so even when I look back on that, I'm like, dang you had a voice. Yeah. You knew where you wanted to go. And, um, and I think that was part of that upbringing of you have got choices. And I always say choices are superpower, right? Mm -hmm. But that's not to say that in every instance I was like, yeah, I got this. I got it. Right. So there were times like, even when I stepped on, I went to UC Berkeley for undergrad. Even when I stepped on that campus, I was overwhelmed. I mean, I'm a little beach girl, you know, coming from Santa Cruz, California, and I'm stepping on this campus where this campus is just as big as the city that I come from. Jeez. And I'm like, oh my goodness, (laughs) I'm intimidated. I'm around all these brilliant people. And I'm thinking, do I belong here? (laughs) Did I really get in here? You know, like, wow. And, um, and I did, I just had to find my place. And so, you know what I started doing, Holly, I started exploring. I started exploring, like, where is my place? Is this, this campus is so big. Where's my group? Mm -hmm. And, um, I even, (laughs) this is really funny. And you'll laugh at this because we're both military spouses, right? Yes. 
So I even went to ROTC and I thought, yep, this will do it. Like, I'm going to try ROTC, ROTC. I'm going to try and do this. And I'm wearing a uniform. I'm like standing there and like, you know, the guy's coming up to me and he's observing my uniform. He's observing my boots and he's like, soldier, it looks like your boots are shining with a Hershey bar. And I was like, oh no. And I was like, is this really for me? Or do I just think like all the guys are really cute in here? You know? (laughs) You had motives. You had motives. And so I was like, maybe this isn't the way I want to go. And so then I started exploring a little more. And I'm not the person to like start and quit something. I'm not that person. But I was really, really needing to find my fit, right? And so I ended up joining a sorority that was very, very diverse. And I loved it. The women in there are amazing. They're still my friends today. And it was, it's not what you perceive as a, your typical, you know, maybe you have a perception of a sorority. It was sisterhood. It was diversity. It was philanthropy. It was all these things. It was leadership. And it, it was all the things that I loved and that I needed more of. And so I ended up becoming the president of my sorority, doing a lot of philanthropy and then moving that into my life as I continued and loving to do philanthropy as well. Well, that's wonderful, Miss President. (laughs) I didn't know that. I think that's terrific. Well, I love how you forged through and you continued to grow yourself and become a leader despite everything, despite everything in your rearview mirror. So and I think that's where the switch turned from like, I'm not surviving I'm not just here to survive. I'm here to thrive. I'm here to make my journey what I want of it. Right. That's a very good point. You didn't become a victim of your circumstances. You decided to thrive from their circumstances. But I will tell you this too. And I think this is a really important message. If you take anything away from today's message in regards to confidence, part of being confident is knowing when to ask for help. Oh, so true. And so that is one thing that I actually did because there were a lot of things going on with me internally in that, um, you know, when I left for college, my mom was having her own difficulties and that really took a toll on me. And I had to go also and find a counselor and have a, a couple of sessions just to work out some of the things that I was going through. And I thought to myself, you need extra support. You need an objective somebody to objectively hear what you have to say and what you're going through and how you might be able to get through A, B, and C. And so I was able to do that. So remember, confidence is part of knowing when to ask for help. It's so, so true. Um, Because a lot of women don't want to do it. They don't want to ask for the help. They don't want to put themselves out there seeming as if they can't do it. And that's your confidence, but you really can reach out to someone and get the help. Two brains are better than one. I'm telling you, I agree with you. Well, after everything you've been through, Summer, how did you find the confidence to start your own business? Oh, that's a good question. Oh gosh, that's really, that's really layered. I know. It's so layered because my journey even past, you know, going to Berkeley, graduating, you know. I have to touch back to my high school year. So my senior year, I ended up starting to date this one guy and um, 
He is who I'm married to today. We've been married. Aww. We started dating our senior year of high school. And after seven years of dating, we ended up getting married. And during that seven years, I went off to law school back East for a short time and decided, you know what, this doesn't really align with my values. And I really began to look at values and my values very closely and um, get a clearer idea of what those, those are. And so um I was able to kind of make a U-turn. And that's something that um, I have in my book is sometimes you just need to reflect on your past to move forward, right? Mm-hmm. And that all that past is wisdom that you bring forward with you. And so I ended up going, coming back, we ended up getting married. My husband ended up joining the Marine Corps. And so we traveled around the country. And this is part of that question that you asked. And I... It just like you probably know this experience, jump, had to jump around from job to job. And during that time, I also got my master's in human services with an emphasis in community counseling. And then I also got my doctorate in clinical psychology. And I always say there's a reason we are geared towards a certain profession, probably. <laughs> yes, I would agree. I would agree. You know, and so there was a, a lot of self-reflection, a lot of healing that went on when I went through those programs, too. Yeah. And so, but I also learned how in those programs and working for nonprofit, for profit, you name it, to build community. I learned how to build community through community collaborations, large community grants, you name it, and bringing community to the table to make those significant changes. And so as time progressed and I worked in hospitals doing, you know, assessment, so I am a... <laughs> I am a professional at doing clinical assessments. And so I would do assessment day in, day out on human beings who are suicidal, homicidal, and gravely disabled oh. with a range of mental health c- conditions. And so I, uh, I did that for years and I absolutely loved it. And people were like, how are you doing that? Doesn't that get you down? And I said, absolutely not. As a matter of fact, every day, every person has a different story. And to me, that's so interesting. And I want to know the resources there for them. I want to be able to support them in different ways. And so to me, it was very intriguing. And so I am a professional evaluator. And so I put these things into practice throughout my life. And I thought to myself, when my husband finally retired and he got recruited over to DC to work for the government, I thought to myself, I want to move back to California. That was our goal. But here we are in DC. So now what do I do? Now, after following his career and jumping from job to job, because that's part of the the military framework, right? So you never know when you're going to get orders and you have to go where you're told. So, So from that point, when he retired, I thought, what do you want to do, Summer? This is your opportunity. This is your time. And so I ended up creating my business called Core Women, and that is with a K. And it stands for how we as women kinetically connect, organically learn from one another, reshape our lives through diverse interaction, and empower one another to promote change. And these are all things that I firmly believe in. And so through that business, I ended up creating a coaching business where I do evaluation and also strategy to help people go from misunderstood to success. And so... I do that. I do coaching. I produce uh, documentary films. I've written a book, as we've we've talked about. And then I also produce in-person and digital webinars and seminars. Yes. Girl, you're a master of all trades here. I'm telling (laughs) you. 
I love doing it. I love doing it. But these are all the things. These are all the things that I did for nonprofit. These are all the things that I did for profit. So I brought all those skills together and put them into my own business. So it's not like starting over. It's just reframing and reorganizing those same skills, but in a different way. Well, I love it because you're using what you're good at to create your business. And a lot of people don't realize that. You can look at your your, um, history or your life experiences and turn them into what you do every day. And that's what you've done beautifully, Miss President, Doctor, Community Leader, all the above, (laughs) you know? So, um, and I want to, I I was going to save this to the end, but I'm not. Let's talk about GritCon before I get into my final question, because we're at a perfect spot to talk about your upcoming event. And I would love for you to tell the listeners about GritCon. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for this opportunity to talk about this. I'm so excited. So this is a, a big collaboration. I, I thought one day, you know, I, I want to start again after, you know, we've been in in this COVID situation for the last two years, I really want to have an in-person event again. And so I was introduced to uh, Ray Leonard Jr., the son of Sugar Ray Leonard, the famous boxer. And I asked him one day, I said, Hey, do you want to have a conference with me? And he said, sure, you know, let's do A, B, and C. And I said, well, why don't we have it in San Diego? And so I ended up like finding the venue and doing these things. And I said, okay. And I had some late night brainstorming. I said, you know, I came back to the team that we were bringing together for this. And I said, why don't we call it GritCon? And they said, okay. And I said, this is what it's going to stand for. Growth, resiliency, intention, transformation, and connection. And I was just like, they Perfect. were like, they love it. Oh my God. <laughs> and they said, Summer, we love your late night thinking. And I guess I'm a late night person. I love my my nighttime. And so so they said, yes, let's go for it. So we actually are starting to put this together. It's going to be incredible. So Ray Leonard Jr. is going to be there. We're going to have Prince Daniels Jr., who is previous NFL. Oh my gosh, he is so incredible. They call him the monk because his story, oh man, his story is incredible. After he got out of NFL, you know, and started depressing and having lack of purpose where he went from there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even so he had some suicidal ideation. So his journey is incredible. You're going to hear about that journey. You're going to hear from Leslie Rasmussen, who wrote for Hollywood. Um, she wrote for Hill Street Blues, The Carol Burnett Show, for Roseanne Barr, for lots of different people. And what that looked like for her as a woman in Hollywood mm-hmm. and her journey. And now a very successful writer and author. And then we're also going to hear from George Foreman III, George George Foreman, you know, the Foreman girl, Foreman boxer. Um, We're going to hear from his son and he's going to be there. And then we're going to have a mentalist there who's going to talk about our brains and our mindsets and entertain us. And so we're going to have after the conference, and we're also going to have a GritCon panel. So me, Ray, uh, Jen Fontania, uh, Dr. Joy Wright, and Rachel Snyder, we're all going to be up there as a team talking about the importance of GritCon and what that means to us. And then after the conference, the official conference ends around 4.45, we're going to have an incredible mixer. And so that's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have photographers there. We're going to have a photo booth. We're going to have all these really fun things. So yeah, that's what GritCon's all about. It's this about amazing. 
you know, it's going to be amazing. It's for veterans. It's for veteran spouses. It's for entrepreneurs. It's for people who want to, who want to really excel in the career that they have. It's going to be an opportunity for meaningful connection, not just networking in that transitional. Yeah. Okay. Here's your business card, but no getting to know people. And that's what I really wanted to make it an experience and not just your typical conference. It is not your typical conference. It's, you have dynamic speakers, you have a variety, and you have a purpose. And I love that about it. Can you tell us the dates of it and where it's located? Okay. So it's located in the beautiful San Diego. It is November 5th. It starts at 930. Registration is happening now. And so you can go to any one of my core women sites, core women on Instagram. You can go to the core women Facebook page. You can contact me via DM um, on LinkedIn, but all of in my link tree um, tab, you can click on that and you can find GritCon. And then you can also find me at corewomen.com and you can learn more about me and how to reach me. And there's also opportunity here. And I just really want to put this out because as a spouse of somebody who was in the military for 21 years mm-hmm. and you know, being with him by his side that entire time, watching him go after where all these different things and all the things that we've gone through living out of the country, everything that we've been through, veterans are really important to me. Veteran families are important to me. So we are also looking at for sponsorship, sponsorship to sponsor veterans to come to the conference. And so oh, that's we, terrific. Yeah, we would love that. So if you'd like to reach out to me, please feel free to reach out to me and we can talk more about that. We've got a sponsorship deck that we can send to you. That's terrific. I love that. Yeah. I love that. It's a wonderful, wonderful cause there, Summer. Thank you. Okay. One last question. And then yes, let's you- do it. Okay. What advice do you have for other women or men regarding their confidence if they have been through something similar to what you've been through? Ooh, wow. This is a good one. I this know. Is- Another layered question. Another yeah. One. Well, here's what I'll say. And I'm going to go back to this because this is, to me, this is really important. And this has to do with confidence. Ask for help if you need it. Mm-hmm. I know that a lot of times, you know, we let our pride or our ego get in the way. I, I've been there. I know what it feels like. But remember, you don't, here's the thing you don't own other people's choices, you don't own them. People used to come up to me and say, Oh, Summer, I'm so sorry what, what you're going through. You know, your parents, da da da. I'm like, I don't own them. I don't own those choices that they've made. Figure out your values and live them. You don't have to. So here's my thing. Ask for help when you need it. Remember, you don't have to own other people's choices. Figure out your own values and live them. Live your authenticity and break free from conditioning and live a life that you are absolutely passionate about. And here's the last part of this is to let go of living in sort of the the survival mode and live and thrive, thrive. This is your life. You have one Mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. Live it. Love it. And every day is not going to be, oh, this is great and everything's wonderful, but you can appreciate at least one thing that you're still here, that you're breathing, that you're alive. That is terrific advice. And I love what you said about choices. You don't own their choices. You don't. Their choices were theirs. It's your choice to do something different with it, which leads you to thriving. So it all comes together perfectly, Summer. So thank you. I want to thank you so much for joining me today. And for our listeners, buy her book. 
go to GritCon, get connected to core women because you will love Summer and you are such a wonderful leader, Summer. And I want to thank you so much for being on with me today. Holly, I want to thank you so much for asking me to be here and thank you too for your family service in the military. I so appreciate that. And thank you for everything that you're doing in community. Brava. Yes. Yes. (laughs) How do you persevere when those around you did not make the best choices for you? Maybe they were just trying to do the best they could at the moment, good or bad, but whatever the circumstances, Their choices do not have to define you. You have the power to be yourself and be confident that your choices are more suitable for you. Here are my two parting tips today for you on choices. Number one, as Summer says, know that their choices are not your choices. They do not define who you are or what you will become. Be able to separate the two. Know that they are two different things that will give you the confidence to move ahead in your own way. Secondly, authenticity is important. When carving your own path, despite the odds and influences around you, know that your authenticity will bring you confidently to where you're supposed to be. Those are my parting words for you today. This is Holly Kaplan. Cheers until our next episode of Talking Confidence. Thank you, Talking Confidence listeners, for joining me today for this episode. If you would like to connect with me personally for confidence coaching or speaking events, you can reach me at hollykaplan.com. If you would like to buy my book, Surviving the Dick Click, A Girl's Guide to Surviving the Male-Dominated Corporate World, you can find your copy at amazon.com. Thanks.